Aimee um, and everyone who's being involved. And I'd like to welcome our panel and also my co-editor, Maria Miranda, who's here, sitting at the front. Um, so um, I'd also like to uh, acknowledge the traditional owners of the land um, and pay respects to uh, elders past, present, and emerging as well. So um, tonight, I will um, give a brief introduction and um, uh, then uh, we'll go into a bit of a presentation. I've asked each of our speakers to give a, um, a short response. Um, so we'll, we'll go into this. And also, if you have any questions, just feel free to put your hand up. Um, otherwise, we'll keep them for the end. Um, so I'll just introduce the project and the book a little bit um, to start with. Um, and uh, then I'll introduce our speakers and, and we'll get started. Um, so um, this uh, book was uh, part of a large uh, research project that Maria Miranda um, started that was called uh, the um, Cultural Economies of Artists Run Initiatives. Um, and Maria invited me in, this, in the last year of this project uh, as a curator to prepare a public um, presentation. And so this, this book came out of that uh, and the exhibition that took place at Testing Ground in Melbourne um, along with the symposium. So the book, uh, in a sense, uh, collates some of the reflections that came out of the symposium and is kind of expanded also. Um, and we also gave four pages to each of the artist-run initiatives that were presented in the exhibition to um, sort of represent themselves, in a sense, uh, in this book. So the partly unedited and also presents documentation of the show. Um, and so in that project, we had a number of uh, Queensland spaces. Uh, we had box copy, um, as well as Reagan and the walls um, that was involved. So special thanks to um, all of you guys, because you've been involved in this for around two years or so. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite exciting um, that the discussion can continue as well um, uh, and bring some sort of currency and specificity um, today. Um, and the laundry art space, of course, was involved. <laughs> um, uh, so we'd like to um, thank the people who made that possible, a lot of the artists who, who um, presented works, uh, and it was also uh, funded through the Australia Council and the City of Melbourne, um, which made this book possible. Um, so the project, I guess, was focused on place, and one might ask why place and artist-run initiatives. Um, and so it was sort of came out of the thinking around the fact that artist-run initiatives has sort of fueled through radical ideologies, um, but also are now very common places for artists to show work um, and, and places to have discourse um, around art, and they are sort of kind of white cubes in a sense and uh, founded on this um, idea of timeless and spaceless sort of uh, white cube. But we all know that artists' initiatives are not quite like that. And um, in fact, we can see that uh, artists' run spaces are always open at a particular time in particular places. Um, and that for us was really important. And um, I think places like the walls uh, and even the laundry are, you know, so... Um, a great testimony of that. Um, and 
more importantly as well, they're, quite, they're social spaces. Um, so in this book and the project, we really wanted to kind of shift the focus on previous discourse around artists and initiative that has been looking at um, structures and how they work internally and what they are to actually question the porousness of them th uh, across their environments and thinking that they, artists and initiative have a particular purpose in a particular place and therefore um, that's what we should look at. They're not the same everywhere. And that's also why they have sometimes limited uh, lifespans. Um, and so we also wanted, and part of that um, was to look at co the idea of community and what sort of, one, the community that sustains those spaces and the communities that are part of those spaces. And part of that is also um, indigenous projects that are not usually included in artist-run initiatives. So we did um, some research into artists, uh, into art centers, uh, into artist collectives uh, and spaces as well. Um, as part of a broader sort of national uh, survey. So Maria interviewed about 100 artists um, all around Australia and all the, the states. So the, the project and the book, in a sense, aimed at reflecting a bit of that um, scope. Um, and we also invited two spaces uh, from the Asia-Pacific. Um, there was MESS 56 and Open uh, Contemporary Art Centre in, uh, in Taipei, who were involved um, as a kind of... Uh, extension to look at what our neighbors are doing, but also thinking about the social space that we are in, in Australia and thinking about our relationship to others uh, and also looking at other models. Um, and it's quite interesting that um, in Indonesia and Taiwan, the spaces that we invited don't really operate gallery spaces as m most of the other ARI in the, in the book does but sort of run uh, project-based sort of initiatives. Um, and so the two sort of main ideas also that we looked at that are represented in the book, uh, we reprinted uh, one of Chris Kraus' key essays. So I guess this kind of discussion around artist-run projects is um, set against ideas of globalism and localism. Um, so maybe I think we'll... We'll talk a little bit about that, uh, knowing that uh, some of uh, you here have been involved in so many projects in different places, but also internationally. Um, so I might cut my <laughs> little introduction and, uh, and introduce you guys, and maybe we'll just uh, start. So I'll just welcome everyone, and um, we have uh, Carl, uh, Vice and Simon Han, who are running uh, Kiba Project at the moment, and also have uh, been involved with Screen Space and Beam Contemporary in Melbourne. Um, then uh, we have Beck here from the Walls, and Danny, who was uh, previously involved, and I think Baron and others are here as well. Yes, over there. <laughs> um, and then the laundry art space is represented here with Asha. Um, and others in the room, and uh, Danny, who uh, was also part of other film uh, and liquid architecture uh, as well. So, yes, thank you for being here, and maybe we'll just start on this side and sort of continue. Um, so I've asked each of the uh, panelists to respond basically to the book uh, from their own perspective, knowing that this project is, you know, had a 
very large scope and hoping for each of our speakers to bring some specificity from their experience and also um, addressing sort of the relevance of, uh, of that uh, nowadays and in the context of Brisbane, knowing that uh, we're here in the IMA um, that has a long sort of uh, history of engaging artists and, and other sort of initiatives and there's also institutions and a lot of spaces opening and closing. Um, so yeah, I'll just pass it on, yeah. Um, I'm gonna read off my phone, folks. I'm Danny Zivella. Um, I'd like to acknowledge the Turbul and Jagera people who are the traditional custodians of this land, give my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I also uh, live in Melbourne most of the time these days and I work on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. Uh, and when I'm at home on the Gold Coast, I'm on the lands of the Gombimeri people of the Kondamooka. I pay my respects to them also. Uh, and uh, my contribution to the book here is an essay I co-wrote with Rebecca, which I, uh, at the time, was on the sovereign lands of the Bundjalung people. Uh, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and future also. Uh, sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And I also want to extend my deep respect and recognition to any First Nations people who might be here uh, this evening. Thank you, everyone, who made the effort to come here tonight. Um, can you hear me okay at the back? Yes, thank you. Um, yes, a bit louder? Is that a bit, bit better? Um, I was saying thank you, so I'm happy to say that loud and again. <laughs> um, thank you also uh, to the IMA uh, and to hardworking technical staff, Chelsea, as always. Um, nice gallery they have here. Um, nice to be talking about artist-run galleries uh, in a prestigious institution. Feels a little bit like an occupation or a slight takeover. Um, thank you also to Annabelle and to Maria um, for the project and for inviting me to be part of this gathering. And I want to take a moment to thank the two of you for the remarkable feat that is the production of this excellent, necessary and quixotic publication. It's excellent because you two are really extraordinary women with a powerful vision and you've realised it really beautifully in this big project. So, <laughs> it's obviously necessary because the artist-run and independent sector in Australia is a huge driver of cultural and creative production and yet it's one that in our culture often remains curiously invisible or in inaudible. Uh, and why I say this endeavour... Hello, Carl. Thank you for joining us. I didn't mean to shame you. I'm actually just really pleased to see you. Um, um, why I say this endeavour is quixotic is because, as Annabelle alluded to uh, in the beginning, the, the scope and imagination uh, of this, this entire project is just so brave and so dazzling and so immense. It takes in Aboriginal art centres, South and Northeast Asian Naris, and I might say a fine selection of the movers and shakers of the last few years. Um, it's all brought together in this, this beautiful publication uh, and uh, the other projects that have been part of it, including Annabelle's stonking big exhibition in Nam, Melbourne, uh, which um, is the, the, the link between so many of us uh, here today. This, Quixotic vision of Maria and Annabelle's 
ambitious, optimistic, kaleidoscopically diverse, empowered by the indefatigable energies of its two creators, this drive, of course, mirrors the practice of the artist-run sector, which is the book's subject and its inquiry. And so, yes, as Annabelle mentioned, she asked me uh, to provide a few specific uh, um, reflections on the book and its propositions about people and place. So it was my own practice as a long-term collaborator and actor in artist collectives in Queensland uh, and beyond. Uh, so I thought I might just take a moment to kind of just weave those two things together, some personal stuff as well as um, uh, the, the reflection on the book and, and my own kind of um, specific response to it. So while this project was being assembled, I was actually working two jobs in Melbourne at Liquid Architecture and with the walls on the Gold Coast with Rebecca, who's the director of the walls. Um, and I was basically commuting between both spaces uh, and I did this for several years, uh, as well as travelling nationally and internationally on a monthly and sometimes weekly basis. Now, obviously that was amazing and obviously that was also kind of hectic, uh, but what it powerfully gave me was an utterly humbling perspective on the role of place in Australian art uh, practice, far from creating some sort of horizontal effect where basically contemporary art was everywhere and everything. I have come to have a really fine uh, and, and sensitised appreciation of just how much place presses on, on space. Um, and what is trending in Melbourne or in Oslo, essential in Taipei or expected in Berlin, is not going to fly on Brisbane or the Gold Coast, and vice versa, and nor should it. As Annabelle and Maria point out, places are specific. The art of a place is specific. And as they both demonstrate in the book and as they argue in, in, in different places through their selections, through their individual contributions, uh, the art of a place is so specific that so too must be the tactics and methodologies that curators, gallery managers and producers adopt to variously engage and captivate the communities who sustain them in their specific places. So since this project was completed, um, I've moved on from the walls, um, but I am still doing occasional curatorial projects here in Queensland. I stubbornly keep one foot planted in the soil or the sand. Uh, and last year I did a project uh, where I listened to plants um, in Brisbane and the Gold Coast. Uh, and it was only able to be achieved through the hard work of the beautiful people of People Artist Place, um, who are Jenna Green and Marissa Giorgio and their extended beautiful family, Naomi and Aishla, who are here all part of uh, this amazing uh, scene of people in Brisbane. And can we just take a moment to appreciate the name of that collective, People Artist Place? It's fairly relevant to what we're talking about here. Thank you all for a really memorable project together last year and one of the many magnets that keeps drawing me back to this really unique and special ecology that is happening here in South East Queensland and a place that means that no matter where I go, Brisbane is always kind of home. Um, I am fortunate to be able to continue trundling around the world, uh, connecting with galleries, museums and art spaces in my now expanded role uh, full-time as Artistic Director of Liquid Architecture. Um, I'm now currently working with Indigenous and non-Indigenous collectives from Point Lowly in South Australia to Wuch in Poland, Berlin, Vienna, as well as uh, ongoing connections that Annabelle and I have formed uh, in Taipei and Nanto. Um, working later this year with a collective in Tokyo, one in India and Bangalore and in Indonesia and Jogjakarta. And what I have noticed in these incredibly different places with their incredibly different art scenes and their highly, incredibly individualistic artists and art workers is 
an increasing embrace of and commitment to experimental practice, to open-ended and processual modes of artistic inquiry that may not take the form of a traditional exhibition of recognisable art media and may not indeed appear in a white cube like the kind Annabelle was talking about earlier. Um, and what I'm seeing in these artists' collectives all over the world is a hunger for things like workshops, lect lecture performances, guided meditations. To me, they're all a sign that we're entering some kind of a new moment uh, a new age of one where pedagogy is radical and it is being led from below by artists uh, and art workers and from this sector, um, the sector that we're all part of here today, the independent and artist-run sector. And as traditional institutions, um, and this is the part where I'm really glad that Eileen and Johan from the IMA aren't here, as traditional institutions become increasingly suspect, captured by what some might call <laughs> Between excrements of neoliberalism and managerialism, what seems to be happening is the rise of artist-run organisations, not so much as alternatives or some kind of substandard minor place, but rather as legit counter-institutions, sites of resistant practice and what we might call interpossibilities, rejecting any distinction between theory and practice, between making and thinking. The Aries that I find most vital today are populated by the artists I find most vital today. Oh, what a time to get a spam phone call. Um, <laughs> um, they're committed to knowledge practices, to dialogues and debates that are pluralist and inclusive and also provocative and sometimes uncomfortable, sticky, slippery, gritty, and in the case of the Gold Coast, glittery and maybe a little sandy. For me, it's particularly poignant to be here returning to the IMA where for many years uh, my colleagues Sally Golding and Joel Stern, um, who is my co-director uh, at Liquid Architecture, held film, sound and performance uh, happenings under the banner, as Annabelle mentioned earlier, of our collective called Other Film, founded in 2004. Yes, I am old. <laughs> I, I tried to calculate how many shows Joel and I did here, and it's over 100, just in the IMA alone. Um, we had so many, many events here. Um, and I realised that some of you in the audience, hello, Carl, go back to those days. Uh, and that actually makes me feel quite emotional um, because I missed Kyle and Simone. I think we were like ships in the night. You down to Melbourne, Joel and I. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so thanks for leaving us that space. <laughs> But um, I, I, as what this realisation, apart from making me feel really emotional, what this realisation does is makes me realise that place, as Annabella Maria uh, mentioned in so many uh, places throughout this book, both explicitly and implicitly, place is never just about place. It's never just about space. It's always about time as well. So... Joel and I went from hurling metaphorical art bombs as a pair of bratty postgraduate students over the ramparts of the Citadel to basically collaborating with institutions. Uh, and we're now staring down the barrel of running our own bricks and mortar space as Liquid Architecture prepares to move into the Collingwood Art Precinct from 2020. So perhaps I'm thinking, catalyzed by this book, and all of what's happened even in the couple of years since uh, you know, we started on the journey of this book together, perhaps there is a space for another conversation about the interplay or the relationality or the, even the mobility between institutions. You use the word porosity, which I like as well. I like the idea of poking holes in things. 
<laughs> porousness and the idea that things might flow and, and osmotically kind of share territory uh, together in ways that may be ambiguous and defined on the fly. It's a story less of nemeses and adversaries than it is of roughhouse compromises, of semi-licit trysts and complex entanglements that complicate but also deepen uh, and, and, and improve our sense of how art makes place and place makes art. What collects in a collective? Asked the Italian theorist Stefano Hani in the recent book Spaces of Commoning, which I return to in preparation for this talk. Commoning is the idea of expanding the commons or the space that is public, uh, that's not private, uh, and that is not corporate. Um, in my experience and the experience of the book, we're here to celebrate what collects in a collective. Uh, are not just experiences, expertise and ideas, but also the ghosts of unanswered questions. And some of those ghosts that haunt me are, how do we wor work together to embody an approach that is intersectional, feminist, decolonial and inclusive, when self-exploitation is not just expected, but is structurally baked into the practice of independent arts work? How might we better learn to respect individual difference and acknowledge and celebrate individual contribution while respecting at the same time a structure that is and will remain irreducibly collaborative and multiple? And how do we come up with new methodologies that are inspiring in form and liberating in practice? I don't pose these as rhetorical questions, but rather to encourage us as we consider these ideas of place and art making to think about why it is we do what we do when we do it. Maybe instead of looking for more answers, uh, we should be thinking about asking better questions. So finally, let me return to the point earlier I made about making no distinction between thinking and making, which I think is one of the most beautiful takeaways from the book and the project overall. Um, the idea of the business of thinking as praxis and praxis itself as, as thinking. Now I want to finish with this quote from the theorist Hannah Arendt. Uh, I think this embodies the question of difference and collectivity. It's not so much that we think alike, but rather that what we do is thinking business for and with each other. Thank you. Hi. I'm Aishla, and that's Naomi. <laughs> um, and we're from The Laundry. Um, so first, sorry, first I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're meeting today, um, the Yagara and Tuarabu people. And I'd like to um, pay my respects to elders past, present and future, uh, past, present and emerging. And um, also just to say that this land was never ceded um, and it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Um, so this amazing book that, um, an act of showing, <laughs> that Maria and Annabelle have brought together and created is a great um, look at artist-run initiatives in Australia and also in the Asia-Pacific. And I think it's a really nice intersection of models um, of ARIs. There's a lot of kind of ARIs that are run by artists and then run by people who um, are obviously of the mind that they want to curate more. I found while I was reading it that some people were kind of talking about that they love running ARIs because they 
love seeing how people think, how artists think and want to explore that. Um, and then there's people who run ARIs because they are artists and they, it's an extension of their practice. And for me, that's what it was. Um, and I think also for Naomi and Chloe. So we were all artists and we were all doing our honours year at university and we wanted to kind of shake things up a little bit. So we were very like a baby space as opposed to these more established kind of um, spaces where people are like super serious and want to, you know, <laughs> do all the things. <laughs> but <laughs> we were just like budding artists wanting to make our mark on the world and we re really saw this community in Brisbane which is so strong and amazing and everyone here is part of it. And I think we had a couple of shows and they were group shows we were really interested in collaboration and I had this space under this old Queenslander that I'd just moved into. It was, it had a floor, it had some kind of whitish walls. I was like, yeah, this looks like it could be a gallery space, let's do it. Um, and people came and saw and responded in a way that was unprecedented and we didn't realise what we were following. And only when it happened did we, like, look into it and we were like, oh, this is, like, a thing that happens and there's Ari's and, yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're just part of this cycle. So the laundry, because it was in a, this house and it was just really focused on the place. Like, we were really interested in the domesticity of the place and... Everyone would hang out in the backyard underneath the uh, clothesline. And it was just, you know, just hanging out, but also inviting people into a house. And people from the community would wander by, come in. And we were interested in how can we make that happen more? How can we engage um, the community and make that more of a thing? And a lot of the people in this book talk about that and it's a really great thing that Aries can do for a community because it's not just a white space, it is um, a place that is has an open invitation. Um, sometimes it's a bit daunting but we tried to make ours as accessible as possible. Um, and I think we ran for two years and we had one show like once a month with a lot of artists, so big group shows, um, which extended the kind of um, core of the exhibition to include so that um, the people who came and saw a lot of those people felt that they were connected to the art and like were relatives of the people showing and stuff and we wanted to build that up and build up the emerging artists and create confidence and a community and camaraderie. That was really our goal. And I think we achieved that. And I go around um, and hear that people still talk about the laundry, even though we haven't done anything in like a year. But um, <laughs> yeah, and we ran for two years and then we were the artist in residence at Metro Arts. Um, and that was fantastic as well. And kind of trying to fit our model into a white gallery space was challenging and we 
struggled with a lot of things because of that. Um, because it is, it was all about the place. And when we uprooted and went into a white gallery, we had to reassess why, what were the essential parts that we had to take with us. Um, and now Naomi and Chloe, who are part of the laundry, they're working on a festival that is um, called Butte. And it's going to be a festival of artists from Asia Pacific region as well as Australia. Um, and it's got satellite shows. So it's kind of this dig at the ABT, not a dig. <laughs> It's 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 like ta it's taking it back, you know, taking it to the grassroots, which is like where it's from originally. And also, um, I'm just working on my practice at the moment, but got some, you know, other ideas that I want to work on as well. And I'm surrounded by all these amazing people who I see in the like later stages of their careers, and it's really inspiring. <laughs> You know, like a few years past me. <laughs> I'm really inspired and I feel like I have a lot to learn. We were so gung-ho and just going for it as like young artists, but reflecting on 2017, it seems so long ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. But also, um, <laughs> maybe I'll just I'll just quickly talk a little bit about the show, um, the act, an act of showing that Annabelle curated. So when we were there, we created this work in the laundry space, but it was just um, me, Naomi, and Chloe, kind of trying to install like a long extension cord around the space, but just plugging it in and taking it round, but we didn't do anything with it. Um, and it was really us kind of showing that, you know, we, we are artists too. <laughs> so it was a really great thing to go to Melbourne and meet all these um, people from these spaces. And they were all like, oh, you registered as non-for-profit? We're like, no, nah, we're just under a house. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> But since we, since our wave of Aries, like we went through um, with a big wave and now they've kind of all like clutch and cut thumb and they've all kind of not died, but they've become, you know, part of that wave and now there's a whole new wave and that's a really exciting thing and I love that about Brisbane and I think it's exciting and yeah, I don't know what else to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yes. You just gave me the perfect segue talking about waves. So thank you, Aisha. I come from a world surfing reserve and waves is something that we have a lot of, especially recently with post-cyclone Omar 
And um, every pro was out at Kira, let me tell you, it was such a phenomenal spectacle. But something we don't have waves of is Aries. And so I run the walls. My name's Rebecca. Thank you all so much for joining us this evening. Um, I'd really like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the Turbul and Jagera um, people on the land upon which we meet this evening and honour the elders past, present and emerging. Uh, thank you so much for coming along and uh, congratulations to Annabelle and Maria for a really sexy book. <laughs> it's hot and I'm really proud that we're part of it. And um, I'm, it was just such a marvellous opportunity to um, work with all these Aries and artists and um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that um, travel that we did down to Melbourne. Byron and I, I'd like to welcome Byron as well who was the artist that um, undertook the project that we showed at uh, Testing Grounds. So... Uh, and thank you also to the IMA. So in talking about place I, and ARIES, I'm really struck by this acronym ARI because outside of Australia, it doesn't mean anything. So it is something that is a product of this place being Australia. And it's not, it's not really a word that I know this project uh, spanned out into the Asia Pacific, but it's really not an acronym that goes beyond our borders. It's not a globally recognised one. And, I, and I, I think that that speaks strongly about our place. And um, also Aisha talking about the laundry and that for me, uh, what you were saying about how it came about and um, how it grew, that is the epitome of initiative. So you have something to work with and as artists we're so good at being resourceful and I think that's what the laundry did so well. And like a kitchen, a laundry is a similar space. People will gravitate because and they feel comfortable because there's a knowingness in that place that comes from the place that they came from. Not every house has a gallery. But you put a gallery in a house. And so, you know, it's always like when you have a party, people always gravitate towards the kitchen because it's where the food is, it's where the good conversations are, it's where the wine is. And I think you did some really great shows and I, you know, going underneath that house and I'm sure it wasn't legal height, but um, <laughs> that, that washing machine, you know, it, it was so marvellous and it felt like this sense of discovery that you don't often get out of art spaces these days. And, you know, that whole idea that you get to go to someone's house. So I went to a really great house party on the weekend with my flatmate who's also an artist and we just actually had a recent laundry accident where she decided to launder her post-performance art clothing and it ended in a lot of sequins, but that's another story. <laughs> um, but that familiarity in the place, you know, that was such a, an excellent thing. And I think that's something on the Gold Coast that perhaps isn't something that uh, we're really used to. So, for me, um, I don't know if anyone saw the recent uh, Vault magazine. It came out just like a week ago. And so, there's a really great irony in this magazine, we're in it. So, this isn't just like a plug, but the image that they chose uh, for the article 
the cover article on Next Generation Art Spaces is an image of the walls, uh, roller door, the front facade with the roller door up and Henry Jock Walker's uh, very famous Henrietta van that's travelled however many thousands of kilometres around Australia to many remote communities, just kind of poking its nose outside the roller door. What's so amazing about this and this idea of place is the fact that this image, which has managed to make its way into, you know, a really beautiful, cost $17.50, glossy, highly prized art magazine, is this is exactly the kind of space and the kind of image that the Gold Coast isn't known for. So, <laughs> um, for us, that's, that speaks a lot about not only place, but our place in that place and this kind of change that is emerging uh, and that I personally and the artists I've worked with have worked really hard to um, respond to and change, but not also, not always work really hard, have, a, you know, a lot of fun doing it as well. Um, it's also the kind of view that you won't see when you get in your Uber and you go from Gold Coast Airport straight to Surface Paradise. And this is where we get to talk about facades. Now, now that I've told you that our facade has made it to this great glossy art magazine and everyone around the country knows it and our mailing list is just ballooning because all these people are like, where is this place? And, you know, we just need to know how to get there and what they're doing. Um, on the Gold Coast, facades themselves are perpetually engaged in an act of showing. That is, of showing the leisure and luxury and of ensuring that what you see in tourist campaigns is what you get when you get there. For us at the Walls, uh, the facade has been explored not only by Henry Jock Walker in his recent show, Pipe Dream Fruit and Veg. It's currently being explored by um, Kinley Gray, who is in a development period for an exhibition that will have a very short showing towards the end of March. And that facade and the actual physical roller door that is shown in the book, in the environment section, um, is a key part of the work. And it also is this sort of threshold, uh, likewise with Henry's work, where it enables the artist to let the outside in. And um, likewise, when Byron showed with us, uh, his work responded uh, to the scaffolds and scrim used for construction and reflected back on construction that was happening uh, just outside the walls in Miami. So there was this dialogue inside and outside of the space. And that's also taken place too with El Rey Battle's work, a uh, high-rise made out of glossy magazines, its own sort of presentation of a facade of facades, I suppose, that when photographed sat with a background of the actual high-rises in Miami. So the Miami, uh, sorry, the facade of our place is actually changing as well and gentrification is something that more so than ever since the space's foundation is something that we're really having to think about seriously as our proximity to, um, you know, 150 metres from the beach 
and in a location that is uh, desirable to other businesses uh, is becoming highly sought after. So, for example, we have a really well-known bakery around the corner that has a cult following even though it's really expensive. And then we have a boutique gin parlour that's just opened literally 50 metres, which is great for after openings and to entertain international guests. Um, but not so great when it comes to renewing leases, let's face it, <laughs> because land property owners see what's happening in the suburb. And we're also sort of um, dealing with commercial businesses like major surf brands that want to be in amongst the action. So in orientating ourselves, this sort of notion of environment that's touched on in the book, um, our place is also important because we're halfway between Brisbane and North and New South Wales and they make up key audiences for us as well as our locals. Uh, as I said, we're 150 metres to the beach and that's a huge draw card for artists and audiences and it's also proves for a great location for outdoor public programs. Personally for me, the Gold Coast and Miami in particular uh, is important because I feel like I've come full circle. I was a graduate of Miami High along with alumni like Scott Redford, Abby McCulloch and others. And Miami High was actually a trailblazing, uh, had a trailblazing program for artists in the 70s and so I feel very proud to sort of have been a part of that legacy and to be working where I am. But that place, Miami, um, as much as it has a sister city and we do have a program, Miami, Miami, uh, with the other Miami in Florida, it's also a place where we've had the opportunity to work with artists to explore local Indigenous histories. Um, we've also, you know, discovered uh, childhood histories through the work of, say, Lucas Abela, for example, who also went to Miami High and grew up around there going you know, all the pinball machine works that he made were drawn from the milk bars he used to go to after school in Miami. Um, it's also given us the opportunity to work with artists and curators that could imagine new histories about this place. Um, Marilyn Schneider, Benita Bubb, um, to name a couple. Uh, Sandra De Palma curating shows about this idea of Miami and leisure culture and the list goes on. So looking at our own facade at the walls, we've always, and our place within this environment, we've always been counter to the neon signs, the billboards and the tourist sale pictures that mark the Gold Coast Highway or as it's fondly known, the Glitter Strip. Um, from the get-go, the walls was just two white walls, so it's extremely didactic and it's, you know, the font for the logo is black and white Helvetica and that's definitely not a tourist sales pitch. Um, but in its own, you know, in an ironic way, it stands out because of that, because it's not what everything else on the Gold Coast is. So similarly to that, to sort of buck trends, 
our core ethos from the get-go. Um, so the walls began, I came back from an Ozco residency in Italy. I needed to find other contemporary artists, but I didn't know where they were living so or working. And it was pretty much a case of build it and they will come. And they came. And so the key uh, point with the walls and starting that project, it didn't matter about size or scale or... Um, so much exactly where it was, it was about permanence and maintaining a permanent platform in an environment uh, of se seasonal tourist campaigns and festival-based culture. So this personal platform has enabled us to, uh, as I mentioned, set up dialogues with uh, ARIs and to develop projects and programs that speak to and of our place. So we actually have a program annually where we invite another ARI to take over the space. So last year we worked with Stable and this year we're working with Outer Space. Uh, so as a newly branded city, sort of a more broader environment for us at the Walls is to think about the Gold Coast as a newly branded city and we're still not a city as in a major capital city, but we sort of like to think that we are. <laughs> or the mayor does anyway. <laughs> but the long and the short of it is that it is a place and a space for opportunity. And um, there has been a really great investment in the arts and that has enabled, um, you know, really supported the walls through a period that a lot of our peers in capital cities have shrunk. And so we really need to honour that investment uh, and that investment extends to the development of the new regional gallery, which is going to be uh, the largest regional gallery outside of a capital city in the Southern Hemisphere. Some strange statistic like that. <laughs> but that's typically Gold Coast, isn't it? It's quintessential, <laughs> just let me tell you. Um, so in summary... There was a really great sentiment in the act of Byron and I travelling to Melbourne for the exhibition at Testing Grounds. Now, there was a moment, I have to be honest, where we were in the taxi and we thought, should we just go to Bells and go surfing? <laughs> but we didn't have wetsuits or any boards and we had a lot of magnets, so we went to Testing Grounds. And there we created our own facade of sorts. So, out of these uh, magnets that Byron had made... Um, and so this opportunity really granted us the opportunity to be tourists. And the catch was that we took our own souvenirs. These artists made souvenirs uh, from the Gold Coast. And um, it was just, you know, such a lovely sentiment and that notion to sort of come from this tourist town and have the opportunity to do that, but to take our own souvenirs of our place into that place. Thank you. Hi. Um, I would uh, like to pay my respects to the traditional islands of the land, the Turbo people and the Yagara people and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Um, so I um, basically 
uh, took a, a, a small section from um, the um, from from the book, and I I wanted to start by just reading that out and maybe responding to it um, in relation to to the the projects that Carl and I have um, have worked on. So um, the modern project where ideas of pro progress reign supreme, fighting hard against any bounds or limits and needing constant expansion with their... Oh, sorry, so this is from Maria Miranda's <laughs> article. Um, the, exp um, the heady desire to abolish any limits on human endeavours um, in the sense... In this sense, the modern project of limitless growth is problematic for any consideration of place and ethics. This shines a different light on the way Aries come and go, inviting us to appreciate this flux as counter to the aspirations of limitless growth. So um, I picked this because it points towards something that's really central to the way uh, that Carl and I have operated spaces. Um, the spaces that, that we have run have um, taken their entire form from the context, from the, 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 the art scene, the community um, from, from, from which they've, they've come. Um, so screen space um, was very much a response to the Melbourne art scene at the time. So it opened in 2010. And we'd been living in Melbourne for almost seven years. And so we were, we were you know, part of the, the community there. And at the time, there was a tendency in Aries to have this space outside, like, there, so to have this little space that showed video art in a, f a fairly prescriptive way. It was a, 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 a black, often a black space. It was definitely a single projection. And artists would come in um, and they would change the DVD in the DVD player and that would, would be the install. Um, so <laughs> it was like a good idea, right? And um, easy. <laughs> and so, you know, King's Ari had a space like this, Trocadero had a space um, like this and it was borrowed from, from cinema, right? Um, this space is kind of like this. And... Um, you know, and then there were other spaces like um, Seventh had a uh, at night they would reproject in 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 the window um, uh, uh, a single channel video. Um, so at Screen Space, and I think this comes out of my practice as well. Um, what we wanted to do was to have a space that was large that wasn't marginalised in, in, in the context of the, the white-walled other, other gallery spaces. And to create this space that was, was architecturally set up to um, facilitate showing video work. So it was easy to hang projectors anywhere you wanted. Um, I had a scaffolding system that could be put up anywhere.
anywhere and you could hang a projector anywhere. The walls were hollow, the runner boards came off, there was power everywhere, there were cavity walls. Um, and so the whole thing was there was no windows. The whole thing was, was designed to look like a white space, a gallery space, but ev the entire infrastructure was designed um, to, to show video work. So it was a facade of sorts. Beam, um, which we opened in the same year, was directly above. And it was conceived, it was not something we intended to do when, when we came to the idea of screen space, but it was conceived as a way to um, support the not-for-profit gallery. So it was a commercial space. Um, and, and again, this came out of the conditions of of Melbourne at the time, which have uh, have increasingly become problematic, um, where artists are paying for spaces. Um, and then there was also this desire to show emerging artists within the context, within a commercial context. Um, so then when we came to Brisbane, to Kuiper, we, we came to the space before we'd actually moved here. We were renovating the space and we were very new. Um, so it was, was quite different in that sense. Um, but we conceived of the space as a kind of sometimes an office and sometimes a studio and sometimes a gallery. And so we built our white walls in there and it looked very much like a gallery. <laughs> and then we thought maybe we should run it as a gallery. Um, but still, so last year, we, we still though don't have a fixed idea about what, what it is. And, and that made it very different from the other two spaces that we ran in Melbourne. Um, and so last year we ran a very standard um, rolling exhibition program as a kind of sounding board. So we were there, we were open, um, we, we had exhibitions and um, – but as a sounding board to see what would come back because we weren't so familiar with the, with the scene here. And so from that, um, we're having a program that's much more uh, based in individual projects and also that has kind of publishing outcomes um, and, 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 and um, uh, significant um, publishing outcomes. So um, – but across all of these different galleries, which were all very different, um, the – the idea that was central to us and that has um, always been central to our curatorial endeavours is the idea to provide a program that combined artists that were emerging mid-career and established and also local, national and inter international. And this is um, really an important basis for our curation um, because it sees the practices on a level playing field um, and also in dialogue with each other. And this is fundamentally opposed to funding models in, um, in, in this country which focus on growth and institutionalisation of ARIES. Um, it's – our model of curating is also fundamentally opposed to the idea of ARIES as um, stepping stones to 
um, institutions and to the development and growth of people's practices, if, if, if you like. And this is because everybody's practice in our spaces sit, ne sit, sit by side by side. Um, so I think that a reason why this, this I mean, I, I, I sound like a, this is some kind of manifesto of but I, I don't mean it in that way it's it's kind of just emerged as, as as something that we've done and I think it's emerged because Carl and I you know we're practitioners before we're uh, before we are um, um, curators and gallerists and Carl's a writer and 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 I'm an artist and speaking for myself my practice is very much in the is, is, I mean, it's very much founded in the material processes of making. Um, and the artwork's status as, as a commodity um, is irrelevant to any decisions that I make as a, as a practitioner. Um, and then this travels then through my, my practice as a curator and, 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 and running spaces. So as a as a practitioner, I see the gallery as a place for the um, presentation and the exchange of ideas for, um, foremost. So to turn back to the the text, um, if we we look at the Chris Krauss um, makes a really succinct point um, through a performative inclusion of a proposal and a rejection letter. Um, and the subsequent discussion um, in the article, Kelly Lake's store, um, that despite art being so dominated by um, global commercial models of power, it remains a space of exchange of ideas. So even within that, it has the ability um, to do that. And um, as... Uh, it, as uh, one, I mean, the, the gallery has also, in doing that, has absorbed research that would have once occurred in other disciplines and allowing it to find a place in galleries because they're basically all that's left in a pretty bleak landscape. <laughs> and it's worth, I think, noting at, at that this point that that these spaces, these ARIs, where, where these possibilities and everyone here tonight has been talking about the possibilities and the exchanges and the, the friendships and the, the work and the ideas, um, this all exists because of the unpaid labour um, of, of the people who, who run them and they actually exist because of that in the face of... Um, of neoliberalism, they exist because people do them for no for no money. So um, for Kyle and I then to run this um, kind of these these white cube spaces, which have the the kind of physical appearance of institutions that um, have money, I I kind of look at it. Um, not because I, because we're kind of collapsing, we're trying to collapse these hierarchies within them, and 
I, I am always amazed by the um, generosity of, of artists and um, extremely famous <laughs> kind of artists to, work, um, to lend us their works um, allows the possibility for this, this collapsing of, of hierarchies. Um, I see this as a kind of a, a small act, a very small act of resistance um, against the absorption of, of all art and, and, and art that is made within galleries um, to systems of commerce and um, professional development. So I, as I'm talking, I'm feeling like I've really um, depressed everything here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do kind of, I think um, perhaps looking to the other speakers that, um, it, I mean, what I'm talking about is this, this kind of possibility and it's about how you choose, choose to use that perhaps. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Um, is this uh, working? Yeah. So I'd like to also begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of um, where we meet here tonight, the people of the Turrbal and Yagara Nations, and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Um, thanks for inviting us to speak and congratulations on the, on the book. Um, I remember, I think we went to like, Simone and I saw the second show at the walls and it was literally the walls outside of your yes. studio. Just <laughs> happened to be at the Gold Coast, yeah, and it's been amazing to see how the space has kind of grown in terms of like programming and yeah, it's been really incredible to sort of see mainly from afar. And yeah, we totally were not in... Brisbane during laundry, but saw some of its metro incarnation. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think I'm probably on the kind of more of what Aisha described as the kind of super serious kind of <laughs> um, end of the, the Ari scale. Um, so <laughs> so um, I, I'm going to lean a bit on my, on my notes because uh, just to try and keep it succinct as well, because otherwise I'll just kind of start babbling. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of really interested in considering some of the terms in the book um, and how they fall back into my philosophy running an ARI and in terms of what Simone and I kind of have done or are doing um, together in that kind of ARI world. Um, so, like, the book st starts with the distinction between space and place. Um, and it's a really kind of important uh, kind of terminological distinction that's made at the beginning. But, like, of course, those terms have been, like, fought over for a long time. And it's interesting, like, someone like Michelle Desoto would have kind of the opposite perspective where... Because um, you've kind of said how... Uh, place is kind of more grounded and then space is more abstract. But yeah, like, so Desoto kind of says the opposite. It's like place is a map 
and space is the tour. And um, or like if place is a word, then space is its enunciation, like kind of trying to give it a temporality, um, which maybe is just kind of saying the same thing, but reversing the the words. But um, but yeah, I'm I'm interested in kind of what Desoto did in terms of like space as like this practice place and yeah the reintroduction of temporality um uh which was kind of touched on a little bit earlier but but mainly i prefer the term space from not from desato but from my uh, Henri lefebvre um and his book the production of space which like i was sort of really super deep into when we were generating the idea for for screen space, um, and still like an important thinker for me personally, but um, but he has a, his seminal text, Production of Space, kind of undermines any attempt to make that delineation between space and place. Um, so he wants to dismantle the idea of space as an empty container, um, and he does this via like this triad of interconnected, but not always coherent, um, components like there's space perceived, conceived, and lived. So, you know, it's daily practice, which is the temporal element, like Desoto, the physical architecture and geographies we live in. But then they're kind of inseparable from these layers of of systems of knowledge and stories that that kind of filter those. Um, and I mean. The book is amazing. It's kind of crazy as well. Like it's not coherent, really, but it um, in terms of a systematization of space. But that's not the idea. It's to kind of give you the tools to to kind of think about it yourself. Um, and there's no clear historiography because there's all this sort of superimposition of different different spaces. Um, but yeah, as I said, like uh, Lefebvre's ideas were really important when we set up screen space to me and I never kind of saw the white cube as an empty container. And I think the myth of the hermetic seal of the white cube has long been debunked and it was never airtight. And like to me really the white cube does the opposite of decontextualizing the work. To me like the, the salon hang, that has works as kind of like free, f and that's kind of what, I do what he says, like, the salon hang, the works are like free floating worlds into themselves. But once the white cube is deified as the space, then you start to follow like the walls and the floors and the atmospheres to like the structures that maintain them and created them and patched them and um, finance them and curate them. And so like it, it totally brings the space back into it. Um, uh, and so to me, like the white cube is really kind of just an aesthetic choice. Um, it's no less linked to its context than like the bedroom, Ari or the laundry or the truck or the house or whatever. Um, Maybe it's not as fun as those, I don't, I don't know. But um, <laughs> but uh, to me, yeah, it's just kind of like a, an aesthetic kind of thing. If you consider every space as this kind of contextually layered thing. Um, 
I think in Brisbane more so the Melbourne white spaces um, white are associated with a kind of institutionalisation. Um, but I'm interested in the form of the white cube for the same reason I prefer the term space, to kind of recuperate the term in a way that undermines and subverts any idea of its neutrality. Um, so, uh, like in the book, Dominic Redfern kind of refers briefly to a kind of phenomenological localism, to use his term, and it kind of made me think of um, Arun Apadurai's use of the term locality, um, which embraces the phenomenological element but extends this to the networks in which that is embedded. Um, and I just want to do a little quote of Apadurai. Um, so this book is from 1996, but I mean, it's an incredible book, Modernity at Large, it's called. But um, he write, Apadurai writes, I view locality as primarily relational and contextual, contextual rather than as scalar or spatial. Um, it's not explicit, but he's making an argument there against um, uh, Frederick Jamison. Um, I see it as a complex phenomenological quality constituted by a series of links between the sense of social immediacy, the technologies of interactivity and the relativity of context. Um, so I like that quote and it's kind of connection to these daily practices to a kind of networked emphasis um, and because it kind of leads me into the the kind of story behind the name of our Brisbane space. So Kuiper takes its name and the pronunciation of Kuiper from the um, astrological term, I mean astrological body, the Kuiper belt. Um, so this is like this constellation of heterogeneous objects. They're kind of at the far reaches of the solar system. Um, so they're held by the gravity of the sun, but only very loosely. So they're not homogenous and there's different elemental compositions, different sizes, kind of different um, uh, shapes. Um, and like there's just enormous variation, even though they are kind of loose constellation. Um, and it's kind of like to us, I guess, a bit of a loose metaphor for the Ari world, which has this kind of faint connection to the sun, which is maybe like the art center. Um, but it's like, so, but still doing that, like you, you can't escape that gravity in some respect, but you're kind of still just doing your own thing. At, well, it may as well be like the far end of the solar, yeah, the Kuiper belt. So, um, and uh, there's other elements about the Kuiper belt I won't bore you with, but that have all these kind of <laughs> metaphorical connections for me and Simone. Um, so I think uh, that there's a lot of cynicism kind of around the art world and what ties together that constellation of, of organisations uh, today. So... I think where people read it as the kind of ultimate um, model for the neoliberal subject and the entrepreneurial self. Um, you see this in Hito Stirl and her writing on the movement from work to occupation. So, and uh, Hito Stirl, as you probably know, had an amazing exhibition in this gallery a few years ago. Um, 
so yeah, like from work to occupation, so from the defined goals of activity to just kind of endlessly keeping busy. Um, and her more recent book, she kind of expands on this with the idea called junk time, like juggling multiple schedules, fragmented time and network occupation. And she kind of sees the artist as like the ideal example. Um, and the bedroom Ari is neoliberal kind of model is really vivid in a book called Your Everyday Art World by Lane Relia, um, which leans really heavily on another book, um, The New Spirit of Capitalism. But uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then even in like Ali Mould's more recent Against Creativity, which just came out like last year, um, though that's not really about the art world, but it has a it kind of has a similar thing. Like, I really like all these writers, but I think that the parallels they find between neoliberalism and contemporary art and Ari's in terms of, like, casualization, weak-tied networks, breakdown of work-life distinctions, the temporary um, network structures, emphasis on circulation. Like, to me, I think a lot of the parallels they make there are really just structural and semantic rather than um, substantive, um, especially when it comes to Ari's. Um, so as Simone said, and I'm kind of going to return to the, the same writer, um, I maintain a belief in the power of the Ari to use these forms and structures, again, to kind of recuperate them, to subvert them, um, to create knowledge instead of capital through those same kind of forms. Um, and I was particularly drawn to Chris Krauss's comment in the, that essay um, that's reprinted in Active Showing, where she writes, yeah, contemporary, where she goes and finds that an MA course, like 70% of the people aren't doing what, like they're not doing paintings or installations or anything that might be considered artwork. And so instead, contemporary art offers a context for work that might once have been done, this is to quote Krauss, within humanist disciplines now on the verge of becoming as extinct as ancient Arcadian, because that's a reference because one of the students is translating ancient Arcadian. Um, and yeah, and so that to me is like the whole reason to do an Ari is to like, I mean, there's lots of fun as well. You wouldn't do it if you, <laughs> as, as like serious as I made it sound. It's like, that, 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 um, that is, but it's like generating these kind of knowledges um, and, uh, and just kind of finding new ways to understand the world we live in. So that's kind of my lofty idea of the Ari. <laughs> I don't know, like the, the reality of my contribution to that would be, but that's Apologies, it wasn't was not on. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think the the sort of richness of all the responses we heard just then really talks to um, the the sort of vital role that artists and initiatives and artists do play 
today and um, also in terms the the sort of personal uh, and temporal connections I think we're really drawn out to, tonight um, thinking about um, the the Brisbane uh, and Queensland scene and how different projects have occurred in at different times um, and the question of legacy as well and uh, and the sort of robbing uh, and questioning of institutions and I feel like it's a a really important moment uh, to talk about this also in the light of the um, appointment of the new documenta uh, curatorial team, um, which is uh, Rangropa, which is a, um, an artist collective from Indonesia. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see how those ideas of um, artists uh, run and late projects and the sort of collapsing uh, of those hierarchies that you you talked about, and also the personal sort of relationship that happened will sort of unfold, um, and that I think is really well echoed also with the Butte um, Festival coming up. Um, so really, thank you everyone, and um, we've taken a lot of time. So um, I'll just open up for a couple of questions. If you have anything burning, um, and after that we can we can just uh, chat around some wine. But um, I would just wanted to ask Maria if you had any uh, any response. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you. That was a really wonderful, um, and I was blushing. It was a wonderful response um, and um, really interesting. Um, you know, comments, and um, I really enjoyed that. Um, I feel like we should do another book and have everyone write an essay. <laughs> so I do. I had lots of questions as everyone was speaking, but of course now I've got to remember them all. Starting with Danny, actually, uh, just thinking about um, uh, liquid architecture, because actually before um, coming here tonight, I got an email from um, someone asking me why do we have this RE meeting. Oh, this are gathering of Aries at the IMA, and I, I thought that was a really interesting question, and um, it spoke to the sort of feeling I think there is between um, Aries, <coughs> or you know, um, I won't say the word alternative because it's there's a whole reason not to say that, um, but independent galleries and major institutions, and so with that within that context, I wanted to ask you as as um, a co-director of Liquid Architecture, that Liquid Architecture, you know, works so well, I think. I mean, just as someone who goes to events or has noticed, um, uh, it's worked with all sorts of institutions. How, I mean, I think the question would be, how do you hold on to um, your project in the face of working with such different institutions? And Because I'm, I'm assuming that's the fear that people have, that if you go into a major institution, you'll lose um, integrity, you'll lose your idea, you'll get swamped, you'll get taken over. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I think you guys do it really well. <laughs> thank you. I think this one's live, Chelsea. The, um, thank you. I, it's so uncanny. We literally had that conversation this morning um, because we're coming up to um, the next round of four-year planning for our organisation, something Annabelle, as a former employee of Liquid Architecture, full disclosure, uh, knows all, all about this process where you're 
talk, talking about who you are, what your identity is, and, and Liquid Architecture, for those who don't know, is a sound art organisation. We're about sound and listening. We do gigs, performances, workshops, um, lectures, creative developments, artist camps this year. What that means, though, is we don't have a gallery. The one thing we don't do is have a space. And even though we're moving towards having a space that won't be chiefly a performance space, we need to partner for that. So we partner with organisations, including Westspace, where the launch of the Melbourne, the Melbourne launch of this book was held, um, to you know big institutions like RMIT Design Hub, where we worked for three beautiful, crazy weeks at the end of last year. We've partnered with The Walls, which was slightly like uh, nepotistic of me when I was running both, uh, both live. <laughs> side by side. We would have partnered the hell out of you guys if you hadn't left Melbourne. Um, and you. Um, but the way <laughs> what the conversation we had this morning was we used to be so promiscuous. <laughs> oh my god, we partnered with everyone and now we've had to cut it down just a little bit into like a couple of like a bit more long term I don't want to say hookups, but they're like a little bit it's a, it's a thing. It's also not a thing, but it's not not a thing and it's a little bit undefined. But we have um, we used to get letters of support from organisations that we worked with at galleries and, and big institutions. They then moved on to what in the big people's world is called MOUs, Memorandum of Understanding, and now we've got letters of commitment and Joel and I sat there today and we are like, is this getting real? Oh my God. <laughs> this is really real. Um, you're talking about working with a gallery or an institution for three or four years, that's what letters of commitment are now like for liquid architecture and um, both of us sort of felt this like kind of tightening around our necks so we were both kind of like are we just like unable to come to terms with commitment <laughs> we just got a problem or is it because like you're sort of suggesting there that the independence of this sector that we've all come from this kind of alternative institutions counter institutions or even as Kyle what I loved about your talk was you're like let's just reclaim that term institution let's fuck having any kind of prefix like, let's recuperate it and make it our own. Why do we have to be sub in any way at all? We're a blank canvas for things to happen in and those things are things by artists. And the one thing that I've come to realise is look at architecture is now done, you know, we work with about 250 to 300 artists a year and uh, we work with about 15 to 20 partners a year and some of those are very long-term and serious relationships and some of those are... Be more casual, like type things. Um, but when that that happens, we're you know the it's all about what do the artists need and what will be the best place to do this particular show. Whether that show is an exhibition or a reading group, or it's a couple of performances. Uh, you know, people contact us all the time, and we have our little like secret hit list, little black book, if you would, of artists that we want to work with and how we want to do that. And so, the there's a constant question for us of getting absorbed or getting those, those integrity questions that you mentioned. There's certainly been times in the past where we've done a lot of cured oil work, we've brought the artists together, we've rehearsed, we've practised, we've set everything up, we've had what we think was a kind of like even partnership, like you feel the same way I feel, that's cool, like we're both kind of in the same place. And then when it kind of comes out in the wash, it's not quite like that, we haven't been acknowledged, we haven't been like included, we haven't been part of the framing or the way the, the event is, is presented and we sort of ended up kind of like sucked up into a big organisation like when you're on in the water and you get tumbled around in the waves and you don't know which way is up and you're lucky to find yourself uh, catching a breath and not a lung full of salt water again. Um, those You learn from those experiences though and you learn to like spot a rip when you see one and 
it's case by case. It's not even organisation by organisation or curator by curator. Sometimes it's just time by time. Um, and we now have all kinds of really boring bureaucratic structures and policies and documents that I'm thankfully not have to do an awful lot with. But that are about, you. we will say this, you will say this, you will acknowledge us, we will do this and we will make it this and this is the official wording. And a little part of me dies when we have to spell it out like that. It's a little bit like when you have to say to the other person, so is this like a thing to you? Because it's fine if it's not, but like I just want to know. Um, we're in that kind of relation a lot of the time of, of working out like, you know, like how do we do this business of actually all being humans together? Because last time I checked, even the big galleries with white walls and institutions still have real flesh humans working inside them and are all working to put on artists made by largely human artists. Their works are, <laughs> their works are, and so it's so easy to forget the human in all of it. And I guess if there was one thing I would say about how we have kind of navigated sometimes horribly that process, but how we've actually done that has been through trying to just have relationships and have conversations um, and learn and lick your wounds and come back and get stuck, stuck back into it if you can. And that is the message I also got from the book, is that it takes a hell of a lot of guts and courage and thick skin <laughs> and uh, ability to bounce back to be this kind of magical quality that people talk about as resilience in this sector. Um, you know, it's often kind of like really good for capitalism when we're resilient because we come back and we're productive again and it's, everything's fine. Uh, sometimes you have to crash and burn. I, I, you know, we all know this. There are times when you just have to learn from those mistakes. But, yeah, it's um, keeping our specificity at liquid architecture is something we, we think about and talk about a lot. That's why we also always want to partner with new people and emerging and other types of institutions or non-institutions just so that we, you know, maintain that. So do you get invited by institutions or do you pro make proposals and talk? It used to be that we were like, we want to do a show, can we please do a show? Um, now it's there's a lot more equality in the way that happens. We still approach people, but I would say the balance has shifted to them inviting us or asking us or now with these letters of commitment, us both agreeing that we're going to do a thing and we're going to do that thing every year for four years or we'll do a thing every year for four years and that's, that's how those partnerships are working. But I guess it's also, as you kind of said, uh, setting up a structure to also enable other things in terms of the diversity of programming, you would do this with the big institutions over four years, but that will be a way of allocating other monies for other projects that um, are more experimental or that yeah. might, yeah, happen in different ways. So I guess, yeah, it's interesting to see how the diversity of programming it also, like, it has to be considered within the, the whole of, like, what you all do. Yeah. Um, is there... I've got another question. Yeah, OK. Sorry, Anyone? Switch Community Gallery, yes. okay. So what we're time? one of the things that's been used in places. But uh, what I want to know is, uh, what's one small thing that you wish you knew when you started out? <laughs> well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. <laughs> that's it for me. No, actually, <laughs> just 
wanted to comment on what Maria asked about the email that was sent as to why it wasn't hosted in an, at an ARI. And I actually offered the walls to do this book launch. And I'm not offended at all that it ended up at the IMA, but the big thing is visibility. So, and I think the way you framed your question was great, but it was also about what the institutions might take from you as an ARI as far as collaborating, but they also bring a lot. And a lot of the time that means real dollars and real in-kind, which institutional in-kind is often a lot higher than what ARI's budget in-kind as well. And so visibility, capacity, audiences, like it's all those kind of check boxes that OSCO and Arts Queensland want you, you know, all those things that they want you to address. Sorry, Mark, totally gone off topic there. I'll hand it. Who, who had the answer to Mark's question? <laughs> I think, like, uh, <laughs> this isn't too much an answer, but I feel like if I knew... I just wouldn't have done it. Like, uh, Don't say that. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, it's, it was kind of a totally different experience to what I expected. Um, yeah, and yeah, the work. I mean, it's kind of what you make it, though, like in terms of the work. I think I wish I had learned how to like say no to things and kind of like pair yeah. back, yeah. Yeah, so, which I'm still not really very good at. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, definitely, like, focusing on, yeah, the projects that you're, like, super kind of passionate about because, yeah, you can just get caught up in this kind of stream of, not that I, yeah, of, of stuff. Um, not that, I mean, I'm proud of everything kind of I've done, but, yeah, sometimes, yeah, saying no can be a, a really... <laughs> I was just going to say too, um, it's really important to know what people's roles are within that ARI and I know you were talking about that earlier at Drinks and setting parameters and also just being, um, yeah, choosing your fights and being really particular about who you choose to work with and what perhaps... Um, those outcomes might look like. So it is an investment and as artists and in ARIs, you know, dollar signs are something that don't come to mind straight away but it is a really big investment and at the walls we say it was built on blood, sweat and beers and there was a lot of that and, um, yeah, I think you need to be sort of really consider who you work with and how you work with them and to what capacity and just knowing what people's roles are is super important as well and I know what you were saying what you're going through at the moment that you're going to have to do the heavy lifting soon because you've been busy having a show and holidaying in Bali but that's fine. Thanks. Yeah I think it's interesting because it I think not knowing is is part of the practice and um, I was part of and that is from at King's uh, for a couple of years on the board and then did projects in other artist room spaces um, in other capacities. And uh, when I look back at that time, I sort you know, it's the same. Like, if I had known, I wouldn't have done the things in the same way, but it's the practice of doing that really 
um, enables things to happen and enables your thinking to change. Um, so I think that's, yeah, that's important. <laughs> Not that I don't want to give any answers. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I think the flip side of that too, though, that um, is um, there's such an incredible generosity, I think, amongst people. And um, we, uh, when we ran Bean, which was a commercial space, but we were running it like an having an ongoing relationship um, with artists, which I think we do anyway in our curatorial practice, is I don't think something that um, you can get outside of that context and I don't think it's um, a relationship uh, that you can have um, if you're being paid to do the work as well because... Um, at the end of the day, the when you're um, the curator in a gallery with the artist and no one's getting paid, you know you're basically just friends. You know, you know what I mean. So, um, and you know, people talk about professionalism, and I think that's part of when I'm saying that I don't see Aries as this as uh, this progression towards professionalism. Um, I mean, we're we're professional, and you come to the space, and and and, and you, I mean, every and we we're, we try to be fair, and we try to do all these things. But I mean, um, those those kind of friendships, I don't think you can you can forge in um, those in in other contexts. Um, yeah, and they take time. <laughs> so that's I think yeah. Yes. <laughs>